This is the Hop Podcast. It's called the 24-Hour Ultrascape. Okay. So that's a pretty intense one. That's like... Wait, you're skating for 24 hours? Correct. No. The event starts at 9 a.m. <laughs> and it ends at 9 a.m. the next day. It does not. Are you yes, you skate for 24 hours. You skate as long as you can. Welcome to the Hop Podcast. My name is James Hopkin and this is a conversation with Ryan Via from Subsonic Skateboards. A lot of these podcasts reflect my life, like the people I talk to, what I'm interested in, and this conversation is no different. I'm part of the longboard industry within Australia and also organising downhill events, and Ryan is a board manufacturer. He started or has been a skateboard racer. He does long-distance push. But this conversation is more than just downhill or racing or competing. We talk about a lot of things, and a lot of things that we get quite opinionated on where we think the community and the industry and the scene is at, and things that could help it to help us improve our community or help grow the industry. Because at the moment, the sport is contracting. There are less people coming into the sport and a lot of people leaving the sport. So this is affecting a lot of a lot of people, a lot of shops within the industry. So we're seeing shops shutting down. We're seeing less manufacturing. Board shops being closed down around the world. And Ryan and I hope that this conversation just sparks conversations and... We don't have the answers. We're not proposing changes. We're just hoping it sparks people to talk about the community and how we can grow the sport and grow the scene. I think it's important to remember it's not all about making something cheaper. I've heard a lot of skaters discuss that making cheaper product, cheaper wheels, cheaper decks will create more demand or help more people get into the sport and I don't know if that's necessarily true because there is there's a flip side to that equation and that is a deck gets cheaper it becomes unsustainable for some manufacturers to make and we'll start losing the quality we come to expect if we demand decks too cheap or prices to keep falling then we'll lose manufacturers like Subsonic. And I know there's a lot of people that make boards in America, Canada, around the world that are finding some of the prices that that race to the bottom is unsustainable. So that's something to keep in mind while we talk about the community, the scene, the industry. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. Okay, I have Ryan Vila. Via? Via. Via. I knew I'd stuff that up. Um, <laughs> where have we found you today? I'm sorry? Whereabouts are you in the world? Right now I am in Seattle. Yeah, nice. So in Australia, your last name would be pronounced Villa. It would probably be like Villa, mate. Ryan mm-hmm. Villa. So it's. Yeah, that, that's how most Americans would pronounce it as well. Oh, okay. So, uh, what nationality is that? It's Hispanic, is it? 
Yes, yeah, I'm a full Hispanic, uh, native Aztec, actually. Native Aztec. So mm-hmm. where, like, your parents are from, are American, or are they from Mexico or South America? No, my dad actually immigrated when he was 10 from Mexico, from Tijuana. Wow. Um, and my mom's grandpa moved from uh, the same area. Right, so your family basically originates from, like, the original descendants of the area. Mm-hmm. Yep, Native North American. Wow, that's pretty cool. Okay, it's something I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. What was your first skateboard? Ooh, my first skateboard was a Sector 9 Carbon DK. I bought that um, in 2010 when I first started skating. Um, I bought it as a campus commuter, just trying to get around, and um, very quickly I figured out that you could kind of go pretty fast on it. Uh, it was definitely a flimsy deck. It's got some fiberglass on it and um, you know, typical drop-through, cut-out kind of cruiser deck. Um, but when I was picking it out, I, was, I bought it from Daddy's Board Shop. And back in the day, you, I mean, you, even now, you can customize your setup to whatever you want to put on it. So mm. I had the debate of, like, Randall's or Paris, and I did, like, months of research to try and figure out what might be a really good truck to start. Um, I ended up going with Paris, and I've... I, I love that truck. I mean, I love Randall's too now, but Paris was an amazing first truck to get on. Yeah, that is a that is a really good choice. I mean, it's probably our biggest selling truck. They, mm-hmm. they just work so well. It's yeah. it's funny how when you first buy when you buy your first skateboard, about how much thought goes into it, and the second guessing. And once you buy your first board, you realize it's not such a big deal because you almost start customizing it straight away. Mm, yeah, it took me a little bit to get to get more more parts for it, but I definitely was like, oh, I, I, I didn't need to overthink that so much. Yeah. And so you started skating at college, so quite late. Yeah, yeah, definitely a late a late bloomer when it came to skateboarding. I actually didn't do any skateboarding when I was younger. Um, I had just, just got a longboard when I went to college, so I was 18 at the time. And then where did it go from there? So... So, for people that don't know, you um, are one of the people behind Subsonic Skateboards? Correct. So, what's the what's the progress from Campus Cruiser to Longboard Manufacturer? <laughs> it's a crazy journey. I actually was thinking about that a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I, I started in, in the central Washington. Um, I went to college there in Ellensburg. Um and it was there for probably about two years. Um, I, f- I hooked up with a friend, and he kind of connected me with a little bit of more of, like, what downhill looked like. You know, he was still learning as well, but he definitely had, like, slide gloves already and knew how to do a pendy. Um, so he's like, you know, get your safety equipment, get all of that figured out. Definitely had hardware store gloves, like like most people do. Um, you know, Korean pucks and just cheap gloves and hot glue them on there. Um, and... Pretty quickly, I learned how to. I was. I really liked this adrenaline thing. When I was younger, I didn't really have much adrenaline sports. I had soccer, but that was about it. Hmm. Uh, mostly just running. But um, the adrenaline was was really what kicked me into the sport. Because, um, like, like I said, I did a little bit of snowboarding, but I really didn't know my way around it. Um, very so, quickly, fell in love with this with the, with the board sports. Since then. So, did you ever race, or was it just free riding and sliding? Um, and then initially, it was definitely free riding and sliding. I mean, it, mm. it was it took me about a year and a half to, to be comfortable. 
um, being able to take some hills, like knowing that I could know how to stop, I knew how to foot brake, I knew how to slide and shut down whatever I needed to, you know, the safety precautions of like checking corners, um, you know, oncoming traffic kind of stuff. So it took probably about a year and a half before I figured that out. Um, and it wasn't like, I definitely made sure I was with the right people when I was skating. I, I, I've always been one that wants to learn from people that are better than me. So I'm always trying to get out there and skate with people that are way better so I could see what they're doing and kind of kind of move into it that way. So it was, was it your friends that got you further into like uh, the downhill scene or do you... Or do you think oh, it was just the community that you hooked up with? Um, yeah, it was definitely my, a friend of mine. Uh, his name's Eric Miller from Tri-Cities. He's actually now living in Seattle as an engineer. Um, but he's definitely the one that got me got me into it because he was the one guy that I knew that did like heavier longboard stuff. Like I knew a bunch of my friends did cruising. A bunch of my friends in college had a longboard. But they didn't take it seriously of like the, the speed thing. Um, so I saw him do some stuff and I kind of like got me thinking like, okay, I gotta, I gotta start, start doing this. Um, so I, I, I started doing it in college. I found a friend in college that actually already knew some stuff. His name is Ben Talmadge. Uh, I actually am still connected with him. We, we hang out pretty regularly. Um, but I'm actually from Tri-Cities. So that was where my main community was. Mm. Um, when I, w- I would go back as often as I, as I could, it was only an hour and a half away from Ellensburg where I went to, where I went to college. Um, so going back for the weekend was really no problem. I actually went back there most most weekends when I was in college the first year, um, just so I could just go skate. Ellensburg didn't have really good hills, but Tri Cities had some pretty fast hills. You know, 45, 50 miles an hour um, was like the top speed you could hit, pretty much in a straight line. And um, what did you study? Um, initially, I studied flight technology, which was to be a pilot. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I actually have my pilot's license currently. But I just I don't use it right now because it's it's something that I decided wasn't wasn't really for me. Um, initially, when I went to school, I had I had the the, the goal to go into the Air Force um, and go that route. Um, but after year two, so, some things didn't work out with school, and um, actually didn't get into boot camp, which was kind of a, a blessing in disguise. At the time, I was like just like so sad. I couldn't I couldn't fathom it, and I was like that's my whole everything. So I was gonna have to start one more year over, so I could do it again. Um, but I, I decided actually to go back home and go back to school in, in my home, in my hometown, which was actually pretty pretty good for me because I learned um, more about the community aspects of longboarding. Um, there was a, a, a relatively large scene there. It was like maybe okay, I wouldn't say large. It was small. <laughs> it was about ten to twelve people, um, and I actually got about. I don't know, five or six others into it. Um, okay. People that I knew growing up um, who really, really enjoyed it um, off the start. You know, make sure and tell them to get a good board and get the safety equipment and come out and just kind of check it out. Um, and so yeah. how did you get in the industry? So at what point you finished like uh, studying and then you went straight into the industry or you like... No, I uh, I was in I was in Tri Cities for a year after college or after the initial two, um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I didn't like Tri Cities. I needed to move out. Um, it's kind of a um, kind of a closed-minded area, very um, red part of the state in my opinion. Um, so I had to, I, I knew that Seattle was the next closest 
area that I wanted to move. Um, you know, I hadn't ever been in a big city, lived in a big city, um, so I wanted to go give that a shot. Um, and I decided to move in 2013, um, about this time actually, it was like September, October. Um, I made the jump over to Seattle. Um, I knew a few buddies over here, um, Brad DeCameron, I knew Nate Brax had moved over here to Bellingham, um, and so I, I also knew Nate Blackburn, um, who's now the current owner of Motion. Um, so I kind of connected with them a little bit. Um, definitely wasn't in the industry at the start. It was just me moving over as a student, going to school in Kirkland, another, another suburb. Um, and actually shortly after I moved, I decided to change jobs. I was working some retail job at the mall. Obviously didn't like it. Um, so I left there, and um, I had been friends with Bradley Cameron, who was hosting some of the local path races. Um, and he said that there was a, a, a job opening at uh, DB Longboards, which is where we both met, really. Got to know each other. So we both worked at DB Longboards in Fife, pretty much uh, South Seattle. Yeah. And what did you do there in production? Um, yeah, I was mostly uh, lamination. Did a little bit of sanding towards the end. Um, did the heat transfer graphics, um, truck QC, so quality control, because they, uh, they, they were doing their own trucks at that point. They still are, I guess. Um, Atlas trucks. So I did some, some quality control there, and then um, also did some assembly because I was really good at it. So were you like that when you are growing up? Like would you build your own boards or are you, I mean, are, are you that type of person? Like how did that happen? Yeah, I actually, the first summer I was back from college, uh, I remember going out and buying um, – that like insulation, that hard insulation foam, usually it's like pink, purple, um, and trying to make myself a mold that I had looked up online, as a as a few other skaters have have showed, have told me that they've done it before as well. Hmm. Uh, I tried to make my own mold, you know, bought some Baltic birch and tried to laminate it. Um, didn't work out so well. It pretty much broke immediately. I didn't put enough enough layers in it. Um, I didn't really know much about it. I was never really a like a, a build it yourself kind of guy. Right. Um, I'm a tinker, so I like I have a mechanical mind. I like to build things, but okay. actually, like woodcraft and doing that, I, I wasn't very familiar with. So, the the first one broke, or I I resined a, a two by four on the bottom of it and cut out some cutaways for the truck for the trucks to actually mount, so it wasn't so tall. That broke, so I put bolts through it and resined that. It, it, I actually still have it. That that same deck, it's on the on the wall at Subsonic. <laughs> so. I mean, most people that build boards or have brands that like build boards or wood shops. I mean, they you'd probably see them if they weren't doing skateboards or longboards. They'd be building something else with their hands. Mm -hmm. That's probably not the case with you. Do you think that reflects through that in your builds at Subsonic that maybe they they just a bit different or do you know yeah, what I'm trying I, I to get at? Yeah, I think it's a little bit a little different. I would say that from from doing like the the DB longboards thing and learning manufacturing, um, I very quickly learned that I really enjoy this stuff. Okay. Like woodwork in general was was actually really interesting to me. Um, when I moved over to Seattle, I had changed um, I had changed careers, uh, school careers. I really wanted to go into engineering instead of flight technology. Yeah, I was doing three D modeling when I was uh, when I moved to Seattle. I had kind of always done it since high school, um, and so I wanted to do more of like the, 
the machining side. So I took a machining class, actual hands-on making a product, um, just doing school stuff. Um, and about that time, um, that was kind of when Subsonic was taking taking light. Taking light. Yeah. So Bradley, had, Bradley Cameron had came up to me, um, and because we had worked at DB for a while, and he knew that I was going to school for engineering stuff. Um, I showed him some of the 3D models I had made. Um, he knew I was a serious rider, so it's, I was committed to the sport because um, I had been racing for a couple of years at that point and was doing really well, definitely coming up. Um, and he kind of just came to me with an idea that, you know, like, you know he wanted to make his own boards because we wanted to kind of branch off of DB and do our do his thing. He wanted to do his own thing, um, but he wanted to, to more or less, like, kind of create a company well, he knows how difficult that is um, as far as branding goes. Creating a new brand that nobody knows is rather difficult. You know, getting people to, to recognize your brand is, is kind of a, a long process sometimes. Hmm. Um, and so he, he had the idea because he saw it on, on Facebook that um, Subsonic was up for sale um, in 2014. Um, and so he had kind of come to me with an idea like, hey, like, you know, is, this, is this a possibility? Like, would you, are you interested in something like this? Know, possibly going in um, together on on trying to make Subsonic like a, a thing in Seattle, and I I was kind of floored. I I really didn't expect that. That was definitely like one of the big the big steps as to as to uh, where Subsonic is now is is that that friendship that introduction. Mm. And how does that work when you leave a company like within the because. I mean, I imagine that the longboard manufacturing industry is a very tight-knit group. So are you still on speaking terms with DB, or is that like a relationship that got cut off when you started doing your own thing? Hmm. It's kind of hard to tell. I, uh, it was kind of cut off from both sides. Um, they knew that I was actually writing for Black Dog when I was working for them, so I was writing for a different company, even though they offered for me to ride for DB. Um, I kind of had said no because I was I was already committed to to this uh, smaller board company that is actually in Tri Cities. Uh, it's called Black Dog Longboards. A good buddy of mine, Dwayne Boucher, um, has been doing it for years. He actually did it in the back of Motion um, for for several years and uh, ended up moving back to Tri Cities. Um, so I was still like I wanted to support him and I wanted to, to race for him. So I was kind of doing that in 2013, 2014. Um, so they had kind of like kind of left me alone in that regard where they, they didn't try and like push push that on me mm. um, the whole the whole being the whole trying to get sponsored by them um, but at the same time when I left they didn't know that me and Bradley were doing this subsonic thing we kept it hush hush for actually a, a while like even while we were trying to we're talking with the with the, the, pre, the previous owner and trying to work that out it was um, it's very much we weren't telling many people some people knew some close friends but it wasn't like Hey, we're working on this big project. It's just something that we wanted to focus on and put our heads down and do it. And so, you just talked about sponsorship, or you've never really chased when you were a rider or doing competitive downhill. You never chased sponsorship. Um, I did only with Black Dog, and there was only one reason behind it: is because I knew that he was in Seattle, and I had always looked up to Black Dog. Um, but then I, I had read something on Facebook that, that he had actually moved to Tri-Cities, and I was kind of, like, shocked because that was the city I was in. 
And so I was like, what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I need to contact this guy. So I just kind of wanted to start a friendship, really. I was like, what's going on? Like, you know, I've always looked at your stuff and, you know, really liked it a lot. Because um, he's always, he's doing his own handmade stuff. Definitely, definitely handmade. Um, really beautiful shapes. Um, so I, I tried to contact him and after about maybe a few days, he responded back and we basically just met up, had a conversation and just the, the really the friendship came from that. Um, it wasn't like I was looking for a sponsor because I, I didn't, it wasn't like, yeah, it was kind of important at the time because I was still young in the in the skate industry, in the skate world. Hmm. Um, but I wasn't always trying to chase sponsors, like trying to chase a wheel sponsor or a truck sponsor or, or you know, all that. Where, where do you sit with sponsorship now, sponsoring skaters? Where does Subsonic sit with that? Yeah, so they they sponsor or yeah, we sponsor a few riders. Um, right now, uh, we're kind of working over where the team is and where we want to take it. So that's definitely something that's up in the air. Um, given the fact that racing season is pretty much over for this year, um, it's not something that we're currently talking about. Um, but we've sponsored uh, several riders in the past. As far as like the the current ownership, um, there's. I mean, technically, I was a sponsored rider. Bradley was. Uh, we sponsored um, Christian, a local guy here. Um, a guy named Adam. Um, I guess it was a couple from the previous um, from the previous ownership. We kept some, like uh, Chip Wood. Um, Alex Tung actually came on board with our uh, new ownership, but he kind of um, went into retirement off of that. So. Um, that's where that sits. I actually haven't heard from him in a while. No, I haven't skating, heard Skating or anything. Yeah, he has sort of just disappeared, hasn't he? Yeah, I think he wanted to settle down for a little bit. And I, I, I don't blame him. You know, he's been yeah. racing for years, and I'm sure he just kind of got got exhausted for it. He found a he found a nice girl, and they're they're growing up in Portland. They're growing together. I'm just I'm on your website right now, so mm-hmm. I'm just looking at the which is a good website actually. I think I uh, we've had a few conversations, and I complimented you before you've got some good guides on here too thank you what's the main construction that you do for at subsonic is it just maple yeah so mainly what we do right now is maple so we do maple veneers that we get from canada um and then on top of that uh, with the with the custom decks and some of the production decks will will uh, we'll do carbon and fiberglass um different 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 uses, different applications, depending on what you're looking for. Um, because Subsonic is typically a uh, long-distance pushing brand. Um, we have different composites based on the amount of flex and the purpose of the deck. Mm. Do you think that hurts you in some way because it's like so customized that there isn't yep. a standard deck that, say, a skate shop can put on the wall to say, hey, this is the number one push deck? Correct. I think in some, in most cases, it is a little too many options for most people. Um, I would love to simplify it. Um, you know, have like stock versions of things. Like this is for this weight, and this is for this weight. Um, but it's it's a, you know, it's it's once we have the conversation with with a with a customer, um, they it, it can usually guide them in the right direction because I, I kind of need to know what they're looking for in a deck, like what they've ridden in the past. Um, whether it's width, whether it's length, whether it's the amount of flex, um, or if they're doing pumping and they need a kind of a, a flexy but reboundy deck. Um, so asking some of those questions is actually pretty important. We get a few cold um, cold orders 
where they'll just kind of order a deck and it's like, okay, yeah, we'll build it. You know, I'll, I'll definitely try and give them a call um, to clarify and make sure that they're 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 ordered exactly what they want, and if not, then we'll work out you know how to how to make it the right deck for them. Wow, so you really, it's almost like a, a bespoke service, isn't it? Are there mm-hmm. many companies doing what you're doing, like to that sort of uh, customer service? Uh, I don't believe so. Like I've, we've gotten some, a lot of good feedback from the customer service side. Um, we've gotten letters, like handwritten letters from people. We've gotten long emails. We've gotten photos um, from from happy riders. You know, even like two years later, like man, I ordered this deck two years and it's been lasting. Um, or a, there's a guy that from Florida that ordered a deck for his for his little girl. Like I think she was like six or seven. You know, maybe like 50 pounds, which was actually re- really difficult because trying to build the deck for a 50 pound girl and trying to make sure that the flex is right because I'm not used to that. Like most people mm. aren't that small when they order a deck. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of something I've I've been you know trying to get perfect it was like the 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 mathematical formula where like okay I can take this construction for this weight and scale it down so that way it can suit young riders. That's something that's definitely I've I've put a lot of time and thought into. And that's your technical brain coming through, you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Does it also uh I I imagine it also uh likes the CNC machine that you have. Oh, I love, it's amazing. I've I've uh really made sure that the machine is exactly how I want it. It's it's taken a while to get there. It's a used machine, so there's some little, some uh, personal things I got to work with it. But uh, it's actually it, it it does exactly what I want it to. So which is that... fine because I get to like create this uh, amazing 3D model that's in my head, put it into the computer, um, convert it into tool paths, and put it on the machine, and it comes out exactly what I was thinking. So it's like wow, it, I get so to really when like, the... prototype things. So when it does a board. So I'm looking at the Spirit 30 slalom board. Mm-hmm. So if you put, so you have a, a you, there's the, I suppose the blank. So you've like, you've pressed the concave and everything and it's been cured. So then mm-hmm. you put it in the 3D machine or sorry, the uh, CNC machine mm-hmm. and it comes out like that. Like it does the top and the bottom, like it does the wheel wells and does everything? Yep, yep. It cuts the deck, it drills the holes, it puts the wheel wells in, and then it will even route an edge on it. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Have you, yeah, have you taken any... Yeah, touching that we have to do afterwards. Have you ever done a video of that? No. Um, not particularly. Um, it's probably something we should do. There's there's a couple clips, um, I think, in the shadow video or even the spirit video. There might be some in there. Um, of actually working on with the CNC on it, um, but we there's a, a few photos that we have on Instagram as well that, that showcase that a little bit. Definitely not something that we like full out advertise because all, all of our boards are touched by hand and they are sanded, so it's it's not like we, it just like cranks it out, cranks it out, cranks it out. It's not mm. just a, a robot. I mean, it is, but it isn't. And I just had a conversation with Calvin Skinner in mm-hmm. Australia. He uses Drang for mm-hmm. his boards he builds boards and he does them through drang and we we're talking about all the small independent like um longboard brands that are popping up and so if there's a small is this what smaller independent brands are doing not the ones that are outsourcing but if 
they have their own like workshop, they would have a CNC machine. Um, likely, if they want to like have a, re- a repeatable process, then yes. Hmm. Um, but all of these things can definitely be done by hand. Um, Scott Moore, who is the original owner of Subsonic, uh, did that for 15 years. It was made all of his boards by hand. You'd press the board. Um, hmm. It would put a, it would put marks on it so he could find the center. He would mark the center, draw the shape on it, cut it out with a bandsaw, sand it all to perfection, and stain it. Wow. Yeah, that, that is a labor years. of love. Oh, yeah. He's an artist. He's an absolute artist. Do you think you're an artist? I like to think so. Yeah. yeah. I, I make a lot of different things. Like, yeah, woodcraft is one of them. Um, but I've been kind of a perfectionist when it comes to that stuff. I, I used to make, like, I mean, 3D modeling is, is, is more or less an art. It's kind of like you got to be precise. you got to mm. think about it in your head, what you want the end result to look like. So that's it's not just something I throw on the computer and something comes up. It's it takes a lot of thought. Is there other stuff that you build in the factory other than boards? Um, like... Actually, yes. Uh, we used to do a an OEM project for a ski company that's local to Seattle. It's called Cross and Ski out of Sequilla, just south of, of where Subsonic is. Mm. Um, so we used to do that. Make ski cores for them, just the cores, the wooden, the wooden middle section. Okay. Um, I also make the riser blocks. That's like one thing I made for the spirits. Is like I, I was just you know, I looking at the, that. Yeah, the riser block is pretty tall, but it, it suits where the deck is. It doesn't actually. So have that's too specific. Much height. That's specifically for the spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you don't yeah. do like riser blocks for other boards or a standard riser block. Mm-hmm. No, it's just for that board. And and if somebody asks me for a specific degree, like I can make it, no problem. Like right. if they need something for a certain deck, I'll make it for them. Wow. Do you do um, any other brands? Like do, like as in beggars, they uh, do their boards through Drang. Like Drang has got a like a small business doing, um, helping people start their own brands. Do you do that, or is it just purely mm-hmm. subsonic brand? Uh, we do right now only do one, and that's with Eastside Longboards. We make one one deck for them, start to finish. And it's called the uh, Double Drop Kick. It's a solid black um, drop through with cutouts with two kicktails. It's got rocker in there, W. It's got like everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's got flares. It's it's a, it's a pretty sweet deck, honestly. Like it's it's a very well built deck. So is that something you're going to do more of, or? I would like to in the future, absolutely. Yeah, we have. The, I think there's a couple limiting factors that we need to work out when the in the manufacturing process to really um, expedite pressing because that's right now the, the a little bit of a bottleneck. But as far as like cutting, sanding, finishing, like the, all that is is pretty much dialed. So there's no there's no. I, I think that there's there's definitely room to grow into uh, offering that for other companies for sure. And. On, this might sound like a strange question, but on your website, there are a couple of boards that are sold out. Why would they be sold out if you make your own boards? Because um, sometimes we're working on trying to change the, the mold. Okay. Um, so um, what board right now is, is, is labeled sold out? Uh, the Shadow 37? Yeah, so that one we're... I would, I, right now I'm working on trying to figure out uh, a new base for it. Um, it actually did create a few warps in the past. Um, we added fiberglass into it, so it limited that. But um, 
we want to just make sure that that the the error the amount of error is limited. So, so we did take that off off the website for a little bit, so we can try and change that. How do you make mold? Um, so that's also something else we make in the shop. We pretty much make most everything 100% in house. So the mold comes from a sheet of uh, particle board. It's an MDF. Um, it's a medium density fiber board, so it's like a mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's a it's essentially like a filler. Um, so we we take a big sheet of it, four by eight sheet, um, cut it up into um, the size of a mold, one foot by four foot, glue them together um, into a big block. So they're you know, flush sides, and it's actually a pretty tall piece of material. Mm. Um, and then from there, we put it on the CNC machine. I knew you'd um, say that. Yeah, and then <laughs> I, uh, I do all the tool paths before and make sure that everything works out and nothing's going to crash or anything. Yeah. Um, and then it will machine out, like it'll do a rough cut of everything, get a, remove a bunch of material, and then it'll do the surfacing of the mold, which the mold, the, the surfacing probably takes about 30 to 40 minutes for one. So you can make a mold in a, essentially, if you have everything planned out, probably an hour and a half, a whole mold. Wow. So what comes first, the 3D board design or the mold? Yes. So yeah, the board design. So you do the so you do a three D like render of a board, and then do you have a process to turn that into a mold? Like you, how does that work? Or is that secret source? It's a. I mean, I'm not going to go into super specifics, but there's a general concept. Okay. I I designed the 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 concave and stuff, um, absolutely from a mold perspective because I wanted to make sure that I don't make it too small, because sometimes it's hard to extrapolate lines out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to make it the size of your mold. Um, I, I go in there with, an, with a thought of a, of a specific deck. So let's say, like, the Century. Century 40 is a great example. That one I have to... I, I need the shape for it, and so I have to design the mold around the shape, because the shape is specific. Yeah. But at the same time... It's 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 a little bit of both, where I'm centering the the shape in the mold, so that way it's not like offset to one side or the other, mm-hmm. you know, making sure it's centered. Um, so there's a there's a bit of both. I, I definitely will generate the board first, and then in the back end, once I'm done with the board, I actually because this is a lot of the math that I've done and, and experiences is making sure that you calculate for spring back, because all these products are wood. You can glue wood as 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 what's pressed in the mold, but as soon as you take it out through the curing process, it relaxes back right. a certain percentage. And so I've calculated for that percentage, and I equate that into the mold when I first make it. So essentially, the mold that I'm making is a slightly more extreme version than the deck that I'm looking to create. Ah. So I'm accounting for the error, essentially. Yeah. Right. So, is making a mold this way is that expensive? Um, I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. As far as material goes, it's pretty inexpensive. Maybe fifty to hundred bucks in material. I mean, obviously the CNC machine is the biggest expense. So yeah. yes, it's pretty expensive when you think about that. But if you already have that, so if know, someone was going yeah. to, uh, if you took on a a uh, a new brand. And they had a ID for a board. Would you charge them for the mold, or would you just incorporate that cost into the pressing of each board? 
so what we do is is um, we offer we we do call, we do charge them for the mold because it depends on how many alterations they're doing because it's not going to be perfect off the start. Um, with my experience, it's it's never been 100% perfect. Like you you make one iteration, you press it, you test it out, you you try out the board. It's like okay, the, that didn't quite work out how I wanted it to. You know, maybe the concave is too shallow. So you 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 take your your the the product the prototype. You, you figure out exactly what you want to tweak. You change that a little bit, and then you do version two. So it does take a little bit of time, you know. Especially with the design, it takes time. It takes a lot of energy to try and to try and create. Um, especially if I'm working with somebody to try and create a mold, mm. it's it takes it's a little bit of process to try and correlate exactly what they're thinking into what they actually get. Right. And so it's probably um, it's not a cost-effective area of the business for you that's not something that you're looking to expand out you're more looking to expand out the subsonic like build the brand than uh help other people build their brands um it's not really about not wanting to help people build their brands i would love to like absolutely but right now with the way that the market is it's kind of like we're also in hot water you know? mm. so it's 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 a hard one. It's a hard decision. It's like we either focus on subsonic, mm. um, or we, you know, have you know try and try and please other other companies as well. So it's 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 difficult. And you saw the news that Longboard Larry's shutting down. I did. That bummed me out. It's, I can just it's just so many. Like it's it's not just one brand. It's been going on. It's gonna be. It's gonna continue, which is unfortunate. I don't want that to happen. But it makes me so sad. Are there many wood shops in a, in America and Canada? Like, um, I mean, there's a few for Lanyards. Lanyards has, a, I think, a few shops. Yeah. A couple up in BC. Um, you know, whether it's in Vancouver, I think Kimberly was the other one. Maybe that's in Alberta. I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, I mean, there's, there's, I guess there's technically still three in Seattle. There's DB, there's Subsonic, and then there's Omen. Um, but it's like other woodworking shops. Um, what's the, other one? All, um, the main one? Where Madrid gets their boards. Uh, mm. I think it's either, maybe they maybe they make them. Mm. And so, I mean, what's your take of what's going on in the industry? I mean, like for Longboard Larry, it, was it just numbers or was it like a retirement thing, do you think? I mean, I sort of looked at it. I didn't get into that much detail because mm-hmm. obviously – when something like that happens, most of the talk is, you know, the history and people, the emotional response of, you know, I got my first board there, I wish I got this, you know what I mean? There's not yeah. much talk about, hey, what's going on here in the industry? Correct. Yeah, I know a little bit of, uh, of the backstory behind that, just a little bit. Um, I had no, I had heard from Scott Moore that um, Lumber Larry had been doing it for a long time, is board building, but he it was always supplemented by um, a different business. I believe it was furniture making, which was the main breadwinner as far as woodworking went. And he did longboards on the side, even though he loved longboards. You know, he he had to he had to have something to support it. So it wasn't, you know, he I guess he had been doing that for so long. You know, having some um, doing his main business, which was furniture making. Um, after a while, like of trying to support the longboard thing and it not working, I think he just decided to to retire that brand because um, he's you know he's been doing it for a long time. Mm. 
and I guess Subsonic was in the same boat. That's kind of why Scott was 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 looking to sell, is that he'd been doing it for 15 years. Yeah. And kind of was looking to 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 end that and move it on into new hands. And that's what's happening at Subsonic. You guys have got other jobs and other businesses that are funding the passion. Right now, yeah, we have to. It's just it's unfortunately it's it's not able to to continue itself, which I feel like is actually the case for a lot of different companies, and not every single one of them, but um, you know, like there's just there's a quite a few. I mean. I've, there's some local board shops here that I've gone under. That it's kind of like, it makes me bummed because it's like I, I want the the I want to see the market you know grow and succeed, and I'm just continuing to see companies dropping you know closing their doors and because they they have to, so they can't just keep going. Do you think is this a case of manufacturing going to China, or is this more of just the community shrinking and like the cake is getting smaller? Yeah, I don't think it's much of China. I mean, obviously, they're, they're that thought. I, I don't see it as like... Because when I walk into board shops, I don't see a bunch of boards made in China. Mm. I, I, I see, you know, like less and less companies being represented. And that's that's not necessarily the board shop's fault. It's more like the companies are having a harder and harder time keeping keeping things together, mm. you know, keeping all of the all of the finances and things going forward. Um, I think it's a market shrink. Personally, at least up here in the area, I think it, it's pretty. It's very heavily a market shrink. Hmm. I mean, we always. I've had some conversations in Australia, and it's hard to know with other Australians about, you know, the size of the American market and the Canadian market. You know, we always have these, like, you know, I suppose unrealistic expectations of how big the market is there and. How is it not possible to sell lots of boards? But mm. when a sport shrinks, it just shrinks. It goes almost underground, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm noticing that a lot. I mean, it's not that longboarding is getting unpopular, um, but the extreme part of longboarding, which is the speed, the kind of the the committed aspect, even if it's like free riding or or long distance pushing for that mm. matter, you know, like the the more extreme ends of the sport are are. They're they're not getting the same amount of attendance. You know, people are are doing other things, and there's not really new talent to come back into it. This was my take on it. Mm. Yeah, you recommended a uh, a Zach Maidem podcast that I, I'm halfway through, and yeah. he's just talking about this specific thing of that there just doesn't seem to be that new generation coming through. So yep. uh, it's almost like we're missing a generation. I don't yeah, know if that's a normal part of a cycle in like skateboarding or longboarding. I, I think it might be a cycle in, in just new sports. Like in, like a, I, I don't know if skateboarding necessarily went through that in the, in the 80s and 90s, but it's, it's definitely like uh, it's noticeable. I can tell that there's less events. The, the attendance of events are getting more and more of the usuals and even less of them but like as far as new talent and like new people like yeah you meet some new people every now and then of course you do every every event but the the, the amount of them is is definitely going lower and lower um, there needs to be some sort of, of revival with with uh, trying to get more pe- new people into the sport yeah one of my 
I mean, I have a lot of theories on what's going on and so forth. One of my theories is that uh, it sort of has coincided with the rise of Facebook and not making Facebook out to be a evil thing because in some ways Facebook has revolutionized like the sport well at, at least doing events because mm-hmm. it's so easy to reach out to the core group of skaters you know what mm-hmm. I mean uh, they're all on Facebook they're very easy to, to uh, uh, get hold of but I feel that maybe it's a hindrance for younger people getting into the sport because they don't have Facebook accounts and they can't find information, you know, like that silverfish longboarding is no oh, longer there. That's, yeah, that's that's another one. That that really shocked me. I did not expect that to happen. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a bummer that we have now all of that history is now gone. Yeah, you know, that was that's absolutely where I started skating. It was like how, having to figure out setups and learning people's setups and learning, you know, what people did with their setups. Like, like the first set of specific bushings I bought were on there from somebody that made them out of wheels. And I like what Zach was talking about. Mm. Uh, that's absolutely where I bought like a first specific set of bushings. Um, but yeah, it's there's there's not many places to go for that anymore. I mean, there still are, of course, there are. But at the same time, it's uh, it's it's apparent that that it's harder to reach out to the younger to the to the new the new skaters. Mm. I, I would say that the Facebook thing is um, it's kind of created, uh, for lack of a better term, an echo chamber. Like we can talk and communicate with the people that are in the in the scene already. Yeah, you know, it's a great way to reach out to groups. But having new people come into these groups is rather difficult because there's no easy way to to look for them unless you know somebody yeah you know obviously there's networking um the easy part of of facebook is just a general share so like if if i share something it reaches out to all of my contacts all of my friends list despite them actually being part of longboarding or say Mm. so there's there's still that aspect but I, i i do think that it's it's more difficult for the younger generation or even just new generation to come into it i agree with you yeah and so much information is put onto Facebook. Okay, so w- as, a, as a website owner, and I've like uh, curated or managed a lot of websites, such as the Azra website and so forth, it's so hard to write guides or information or get stuff that's in your head out. You can do it in small bits and pieces, but to sit down and write something, it mm-hmm. just takes such a long time. And that's the great thing about things like what one of the great things about Silverfish was it was almost like the collective writing of the community. People got in there, they sort of uh, gave advice and it wasn't like they had to sit down and spend a day writing a guide. They could just say, oh, this is how I do my wheels or this is how I do my bushings and just all that information. I mean, and in I think a lot of that information is going into Facebook but Facebook isn't a search engine. So nope. if you type in, you know, how does Zach Maidam set up his slalom board? It's just nothing's going to show. But mm-hmm. he's probably had a conversation on there probably, you know, three or four times saying, you know, how he sets up a tight slalom board or something. I don't know. But it's just yeah. once it's in there, it's almost like this, this like timeline 
and the further the timeline goes, it's harder to go back and find stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I found the the best way around that, um, which I actually have had just recently went back in, in, in the timeline. Um, actually, YouTube is a great um, method for, for looking up old, like older stuff. Mm. Like Motion Board Shop, back in the day, you know, 2010, 2011, they, they released all these awesome wheel reviews and people writing their stuff and you know, I get to see like a lot of the people that I now know as good friends, like Nate Blackburn, um, Ma- uh, Max Whipperman, like Bradley Cameron, even like a lot of those people shared um, their experiences from like a specific set of wheels, you know, doing a gear review essentially, um, and that stuff is still there. And luckily, that's I found that's probably the easiest way currently to look up older older material is is through video form on YouTube, but Facebook doesn't really apply to that. Yeah, but uh, I still uh, it's still hard to find stuff on YouTube. Some I find some stuff, but uh, yeah, going back, even though it's run by Google, it's uh, I don't know. Sometimes it's easier to search in Google than it is to search in YouTube. I don't know why mm-hmm. that is, but I, I agree. And it's uh, one of those things. So, I mean, what do you? I, I mean, you're a owner of a brand. I mean, you are heavily reliant on the community so what what do you think is the solution do you have a solution or do you have any ideas i think there's a lot of different avenues that we could take and quite honestly if there do them all like (laughs) there's so many or so many options there's so many ideas out there like you just have to kind of do one of them or do two of them or three of them like there's at this point there's there's a, a such a low in the market that it's it's starting to to kill companies. I mean, like not just manufacturers, but also board shops. Mm. Carve board shop um, on the East Coast is is no longer, I believe. Um, even like local ones, like Motion Board Shop went out for a bit. Um, Rip City Skate in Portland, that one's no longer existing. Mm. Um, I know Mirror Skate was really having some tough times there for a bit. Um, they went, they actually shut down their website for a little bit, and now they're back up and continuing in a smaller space. So as far as like what what we could what we could do to possibly have some sort of turn in the attendance, um, I would say personally from a individual standpoint, I know I'm going to try and do this as best as I can, um, is to try and bring in a new writer within the next year. You know, try and find a group of friends and we make another group of friends and try and get them into the sport from the very from the very bottom. You know, kind of humble yourself a bit and go out and skate some of the things that you would find naturally like less attractive like cruising you know get people interested in skateboarding again longboarding thing like get them cruising and then progressively you can kind of show them that there are um you know more extreme avenues that they can take if they would like you know trying to get more into the community aspect going back into the community it's like we're all kind of thriving on the same community and we're not actually progressively or uh, proactively trying to get new members into this community yeah, like like, like I, I take like uh, when I see when I go to Mary Hill Rats events in, in, in Washington, I see a lot of the same people, and I love that. But there needs to be a little bit more than just the, always the same people. Like, um, you know, trying to bring in a new friend, whether that's a spectator, you know, honestly, that's probably the, play, the best place to start would be to just bring them and show them what it is, both for like what the sport is, but also what the community can bring. 
Mm. You know, the fact that we are a, a fun-loving group of people, despite how much we party sometimes, like, we all have fun with each other. Mm. And we can enjoy each other's company. It's like a, we need to come back to the community aspect of it and not just, like, the the event, you know, racing, you know, competition kind of stuff. Mm. So it, it does come down to events or things for the community to do i i have been i've noticed and a lot of people reference flat spot how they do mm-hmm. their tech tuesdays and they do their um they do yeah, highway, highway jams, jams, jams and... those are awesome like they, they're doing a really good job of trying to to bring that 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 community into it like they're they're doing an amazing job they're a very a very good example of what to do I, I i love everything that flat spot's doing yeah, do you think it's had an effect? Um, I suppose that's something I have to ask them. Yeah, I'd say it's something that you would have to ask someone from Vancouver uh, how that's affecting them. But as far as I can tell, it's working. Mm. Do you think that's would that sort of stuff is harder to do in America because of insurance concerns and so forth? You know, taking a bunch of kids out and having them slide around on a hill, like in a sort of an outlaw sort of fashion? A little bit. I'd say probably a little bit, but I think it's just more that people don't do it as much. People aren't trying to, to create these small events. I mean, there are definitely a handful of people that are. I'm not, like, I don't want to belittle all, all of those people. Like mm. Nate Brax and the guys at BoardWorks in Bellingham were doing a great job bringing in, like, um, they had a local path race, a series. Mm. So they had four races, um, and then at the end they topped it off with the, the High Roller Outlaw, which was amazing. Um, but they're they're really trying to bring in new members, new community members, new skaters into the into what the community is. They're trying to introduce them like, hey, there's this thing here, you know. It's not just you know cruising from here to the convenience store. It's like you know we can actually get together with groups of friends and go ride, or you know scavenger hunt kind of stuff. Like little events, just kind of make it fun, mm. bring back the fun again. Like racing mm. is fun for those that are into racing. Mm. Uh, like that's a like, that's definitely there. But for it's not racing is not for everybody. Mm. So there's it's like we're missing a large part of of that aspect. Yeah, interviewing some of the Australian current Australian downhill or skaters, and uh, most of them have said that there is that there's not events like those small stepping stone events to get them to big events. Oh, like mm-hmm. that they had when they were younger. So. Azra, the um, sort of like the organising body in Australia, they've had a reboot in the last uh, this year, and that's one of the things they're focusing on is uh, grom, what we call grom bombs and mm-hmm. events for younger kids to uh, you know get them into. Um, it, it doesn't even have to be to have them like racing, just to come along and uh, meet people in the community whether it's mm-hmm. just standing on a corner and doing a little bit of, uh, you know, hay bale work or, you know, um, just being part there and meeting people. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually talking with uh, with a buddy, Nate Brax. I, I bring him up often because we talk pretty frequently. Uh, we were talking about this, that there's not many intermediate or even like beginner and intermediate events before you get up to the advanced level, which is like sliding both directions at any speed mm. pretty much. You know, being very comfortable racing with multiple people, like there's no real um, 
inter, like beginner or intermediate level. He created the uh, the beginner level for sure. He was really good at that. He did that that local path race, but then the the final race that he held the most recently, which was the uh, high roller outlaw, it was very much a large step up from what he was doing before. Um, it was like you know 10, 15 mile an hour path races that didn't have many corners. Probably maybe one hard corner, maybe a slide. You know, it was kind of something that most anyone in the scene can do right now. But then it went all the way to like a 40, 45 mile an hour right hand slide. You know, that's that's we have to slow down a lot, and it's a big corner. So it's like like there's no real intermediate skill level right now, I think there needs to be a better understanding of what intermediate means. Because mm. um, it's not necessarily speed. Like, speed is one thing. You know, like, people that are beginner and intermediate can probably hit 45, 50 miles an hour. Mm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they can slide comfortably in those directions. Like, so we have a local path that we call Slug Wars. It's in Issaquah. Uh, we love that. Like it's, a, it's an amazing course. It's one of my all-time favorite courses. Um, but I would not say it's it's like 15 miles an hour. It's pretty. It's not that fast. But I would not say that it's a, it's a beginner-friendly course. It's got seven corners in the matter of a quarter mile. That I think five of them require sliding. Maybe four of them. It's it, it's a pretty tough course. You kind of have to be on your game in order to nail that course. So it's it's even though it's slow. It doesn't necessarily mean it can be intermediate. So I think just having more of those kinds of events, the, trying to gauge it so it's the skill level isn't necessarily as high. But then also something that we were talking about is is you know, having like pro riders, people that are really good and are competing in racing, not directly racing the the people that are trying to learn this stuff or like the beginner intermediate. Because it kind of pushes them out in a way. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, what, like one round of racing and I'm out. Like, why do I want to continue racing now? Mm. You know, all the all the good people are are racing everybody, and so all the younger um, people trying to get some race experience no longer have. You know, they're one and done. Yeah, they're not they're they're not being able to continue. So I think that if we were to, I mean, it's a little bit more work, but if we were to kind of separate, like, okay, you are very advanced in your skill. You need to be in this other bracket. You need to only race people that you're, that you can compete against, and then all of, like the the other group of people need to be able to race them, race race each other. So that way, there's not this huge skill gap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it, true. It, it definitely, I feel like it is. It's it's there. Mm. I think there's also the the gnarly factor i've noticed this in the mm-hmm. the racing where the um it seems to be you know what the experienced riders want is like harder more technical you know um things that's trying to push the limits mm-hmm. and they don't really want to do i suppose easy stuff or things that might be below their abilities but correct you know having like i suppose you're saying there's like that extreme there's not that intermediate um i mean the skateboarders have skate parks where they gather longboarders don't really have places to gather other than other than events correct yeah 
Yeah, there's uh-huh. not like a place that we can all go and just kind of learn comfortably whenever we want to. It's like, okay, hey, let's all get together at this at this hill and yeah. you know session it for a bit until we get kicked out. And it's like, okay, on to the next spot or or leave. Mm. I wonder. But back on that, yeah, back on. on that gnarly factor, I'm I'm I've definitely noticed that. Like even when I was um, doing heavy downhill in 20, 2014, um, that's when Angie's Curves was around. There was no way in hell I was actually going to do that course. <laughs> like that is gnarly. Like I, I, I would have to say I, I, I would take most other courses, but that one is just beyond me. That's like the next level, next level. Yeah, yeah. Like Kozakov's pretty difficult. I can see that, but like courses like Angie's, they're awesome, and I totally agree that they should be around. Mm. But like, there's a there's a gap there. Like, there, people even like comfortable with downhill, like me, are, are not everybody's going to want to do that course. Hmm. That's ridiculous. To me, that was like 65 mile an hour racing into a, a 90 degree corner. Like, that's tough. Like, let's be honest. That's that's tough. Yeah, that is tough. It's no walk in the park. And I suppose as an event organizer at Newtons, I would have a problem, you know, sending, um, you know, people down that the mountain. Um, you know, that's a fairly gnarly track if they're not that skilled. We actually had a, a situation a couple of years ago where, you know, we actually, uh, Azra had a discussion about a, a competitor that we didn't think was handling the course that well. And we just thought, you know, it's just, he could be endangering himself. So mm-hmm. it's one thing I've been thinking about that, you know, we need to have, uh, events on, um, I suppose those beginner events, but also intermediate to help people step their way through it. Yeah, yeah, not just not just trying to find the gnarliest hill and hoping we get enough people to go to the event. Like mm. we actually need to make sure these people can stake this hill. Mm. So you do lots of other types of. Um, I mean, you do the long distance push. Do you? Oh yeah, I've, there's I've a lot of events. Are there events Sorry? for that? Yeah, there's actually quite a few. Um, they're mostly, I would say, local to the area. Um, in the northwest, there's a, a, a series that we call um, what's the PNW Push Series. Um, I know a, a bunch of people that actually host that. There's the owner of, of Eastside Longboards, Robin McGurk. He just held a race called Push in the Woods. Okay. It's been going on for several years. Um, it's a push race. It's a 5K and 10K push race. So is that um, done like a fun run? As like, or is it actually timed? How do they time something like that, or is it just like uh, an honesty system of how many times they go around the park? Oh, it's a point to point. Oh, it's so a point you, to there's point. a definite finisher, and you get you just you get placing. Okay. They'll do like a, a radio start, ready, set, go, and they'll start the timer. Okay. And then it's it places first, second, third, and it gives you your time. Right. Okay. Yeah. And the actually uh, um, the group. Um, the, I, the IDSA, International Distance Skateboarding Association, um, they, they do a lot, pretty much all the point standings for every major push race in the U.S. Okay. And I believe now, I mean, international, but they started they, uh, started doing uh, the ones in Europe. Right. So I'm going to have to look into the, it. Yeah, there's a big one that I go to every year. It's in January at, uh, at Miami, Miami in Florida. It's called the 24-Hour Ultrascape. Okay. So that's a pretty intense one. That's like, I mean, you go at your own. Wait, your you're own pace. skating for 24 hours? Correct. No. The event starts at <laughs> no, 9 a.m. and it ends at 9 a.m. the next day. It does not. 
Are you, yes, you skate for 24 hours? You skate as long as you can. It's a personal record kind of thing. Like, you're going at your own rate. Oh, um, okay. So you don't have to skate for 24 hours. It's just how much you can do in 24 hours. What's the record? Correct. Do you know? Oh, you probably um, don't know. Oh, I don't know the exact number. Have, but you, I ever, have you skated for 24 hours? Uh, I skated for 22 hours before. What does that What does that feel like, that 22nd oh. hour? What What are you going through? Oh, man. It's just, it's brutal. It's like, are you legs jelly? so many mental barriers. Um, Is it mental or legs, physical? not so much. Oh, it's definitely mental. It's a lot of mental. The first right. year, I wasn't very trained, and I didn't do a good nutrition system because skating for 24 hours, anything for 24 hours, you need a great nutrition system. It's like a really underrated aspect of it. Um, so you need to have a good nutrition to keep your, your body and muscles going. Um, you need to have a good groove, having music, having like an audio book, something that you can zone into or zone out of. Right. Um, absolutely will help you. But it's also like a, it's a, it's a conditioning thing. You could, you just set a pace. It's not like you're sprinting for 24 hours. Yeah. You're going to burn out so quick if you do that. You have to really play your cards right. It's an endurance race. It's yeah. probably the only endurance race I've ever been in right, as far as that because it's, it's full endurance. Um, I was and, skating in a pack of five for probably 14 hours. What? There was five of us, and we just kept at a, at a pace. We just all were like, we're going to hit 200 miles. And at this pace, we know the math, and we can hit 200 miles. Like so over do you 200. take turns at being in the front? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Like, are, is that frowned on if you just hang at the back and draft everyone? Um, yes. People <laughs> will call you out. It's like, dude, like, come on. Like, do your part. Or they'll actually try and leave them behind. Like, oh, they'll, they'll yeah. kind of, like, make some comments like, hey, this yeah, guy hasn't been at the back. in a while. Yeah, it's like yeah. they're kind of like chilling in the back. And so it's like, okay, let's step up the pace. And we'll step up, and sometimes we'll just, like, Blown step out. away from people. I don't yeah. know, like, even, even 60, 70 feet and it's a headwind, it's really hard to catch back up to a pack. Yeah. Like, it's it's incredible. Like, I mean, downhill stuff, there's obviously drafting's heavy. In long distance, it doesn't seem that heavy because you're only going 10 to 12, maybe 15 miles an hour when you're doing endurance racing. But the, the amount of strength it takes to do that consistently, like, this is an endurance race. You don't want to, like, oh, I can, I mean, you can push real, real fast and get up there, but you're burning energy. Like, you probably just burned an hour of energy just trying to do that. So, is this, do you push or do you pump? Oh, it's a hybrid. It's definitely both. Because when there's headwind, it's really hard to pump into a headwind. Um, yeah. There's definitely a, a, a good mix. And is the pushing. course flat? Is it like a circle or a loop or what is it? <laughs> so, with the with the 24-hour ultra skate, it's held at the Homestead Miami Speedway, which is a NASCAR circuit. So, we skate the very inside of the bank which is flat. Okay. And so we skate around that, and it's 1.46, essentially 1.5 miles per loop. And uh, I think this year I did, I don't remember how many laps I did, but I did 200 miles. Wow. Yeah, that was insane. That's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. What What is like, the top game. guy doing? Do you know? Um, is he doing like 300? Anywhere from 280 to 310. Wow, so you're right up there. Yeah, it was, it's no. Oh, those just those people just must be machines. So this is like oh, you're yeah. doing a push off both foot. What's your? T is there a technique? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a technique. So you know, is it like a scogging pushers. sort of thing? Yeah, scogging. I would say. Um, I think scogging is like you switch every foot. 
Yeah. I alternate feet, so I push eight to ten times, maybe twelve times with one foot, and I'll switch to the other one. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I like to do that too. Yeah, like I on the on the home straight because it's an oval. There's two straights. One of them is a headwind, so you kind of have to just push all the way through it. The 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 front one, the back straight, or sorry, the front straight is a is kind of a slight downhill, and it goes with the wind, so you can actually pump most of that straight. And so after you know 40, 50 laps of pumping in one direction, because you've been skating both feet for so long, you kind of start to get tired. I've actually switched my stance to goofy, and we'll just keep doing everything the same way. Right. I'll put like I'll put yeah. my left foot or my right foot forward, push left. I'll push my right, and then I'll also pump goofy. I've learned I learned how to pump goofy at the ultra skate <laughs> in the middle of it. I was I like, I'm it. getting so exhausted. Like I gotta switch up my muscles. <laughs> I can I can totally see that though. I mean, has anyone ever just fallen asleep during the race? Like just fallen asleep and crashed while skating? I don't believe so. <laughs> but absolutely, like if you take a break and you sit down, you are probably going to fall asleep. It, and, or if not, your muscles will cramp up. That's what happened my first year. I, I pushed 125 miles the first year. Skated 14 hours, and I took one one break about six and a half hours in. And I, I had the hardest time getting back up because yeah. your muscles just all of a sudden just don't want to work anymore. They just you know, start to fill up with the lactic acid. Are they Whereas teams they that do them, this? Um, they actually did do team skating in 2016 and 17. Huh. Uh, or sorry, 17 and 18. Um, but it's not as big of a thing anymore, uh, right now. I think it could grow into something bigger. Um, but there was a Dutch team that did uh, the first year I went, 2017. Um, it was a team of four, and so they're trying to get the fat, like the um, highest amount of miles per team. I think right. they were they might have been the only team doing it, but I think they got 350 miles, maybe 370. I don't remember the number. Wow. So yeah, the uh, you've uh, I'm on the website now, so it's it's mm-hmm. uh, it it looks amazing. It looks absolutely amazing. So it's, um, it's difficult. Yeah, oh, they even have paddleboarders and stuff. Yeah, yeah, they have people that do the stand-up paddleboard. Um, they do a paddle paddleboard and pump. So they'll pump. Yeah, uh, there's a guy from uh, California goes by DJ. He rides this like I think it's five five and a half feet long board, and he he just pumps most of it. Like he will full on pump this thing, and it oh, looks wow. like he, it's like a loose like a loose board. Just like back and forth, back and forth, but he just he rocks it, and with the extra length, it actually works for the push. Or sorry, for the pump, and he's strong. So, when you go to an event like this, do you see many of your customers in your boards? Oh yeah, that was actually one of the most humbling things when I went um, my first year to Ultra Skate. Um, so Sonic is really known for its pushing, and a lot of people have loved their pushing decks. And so one of the joys of me going down there was seeing that 40, 50% of the riders were all on subsonic decks. Wow. Like there are decks that I had been making for two years and I get to see them again, which yeah. is kind of crazy all in one spot. It's like, whoa, this guy's like ordered three times. I can see like the three decks and then two that he met, was made prior to me you know, when Scott was doing it. And it's just and- like, whoa, it's being able to see all of that in one place is just it's awe. Just it makes me so happy. And do they know who you are? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. 
Yeah, that must be a uh, that must be a nice feeling. And yeah, uh, sound like any other slalom. So you got a slalom board as well. So the slalom yeah. is slalom has really fallen off here a bit. Um, yep. It's a little bit underground. I suppose it's I, I'm not as connected to it because Azra has pretty much just does downhill. We haven't really got into you know do as much slalom as we're used to. But mm-hmm. um, what's the slalom scene like over there? Um, it's pretty limited. Um, most of the people will go. There's a actually held U.S. Nationals last year in Salem. Um, so there was a there's a small competition there, but as far as like events go, there I don't think that there are many events at all. Do you have an, anyone competing on your deck? Um, You'd I don't hard think to so. know. It would be hard to know, really. I mean, people. Yeah. I know slalom skaters have so many decks. It's so funny. I was actually on uh, Facebook today talking to a customer and we we're talking about slalom and he was saying what slalom decks I had and all that sort of stuff. And, um, I, I was more curious of who is selling slalom gear out there. Like, you know, where do you find this information? Cause I'm a little bit out of touch, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I know about skate Kings, that sort of thing. And he came back and said, Oh yeah, there's like the forums. Um, you know, there's still a few forums out there, and but he said, "Oh, I'm, I'm looking at buying a uh, a subsonic spirit setup." Oh, <laughs> like, nice! What? Really? I said, "I'm talking to them today." <laughs> said, That's Man, so weird. The universe works in weird ways. Yeah, yeah, really weird ways. Yeah, he goes, "Tell them they need a local uh, a, a local distributor." I'm like, oh, absolutely. Like every brand does. It's, <laughs> it's not like they don't know. No. It's uh, that's a market we absolutely need to tap into. So, is do you sell? Do you have distribution agreements around the world? Do you, or is it all just? Um, do you sell to distributors? Um, like into really Europe and stuff like that. There's only one that we do actually. It's um. And that would be sick boards in in the, in the, in the, in the, the Netherlands. They're, they're huge, aren't um, they? Yeah, they buy actually a lot of decks from us, but it's like one big order, and then it's quiet for a few months, mm. six months. Mm. But they'll put like a twenty-five board order, thirty board order, in, and it's like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> so, and do, but, would you? You'd have to press. That's like made to order. Um, no, usually they're they're the production line of boards. We've only had we've only needed to make them two custom boards because some some customer wanted two right. of a specific. It was actually the Pulse. Um, they were actually looking to try and replicate or getting really close to the Row Racing deck, which is like a pumping deck. Um, they're local also here to Seattle, but they've they're no longer making boards at, at this moment. Well, Row um, Racing is local yeah. to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. I know uh, the owner, Gareth. Gareth. Oh, wow, yeah. cool. He's he's actually been in our shop, and we have one of them as a blank in our shop. Really? So we, we were thinking about trying to work together and make make one of these decks. Yeah. But no, oh, I I love I love I used to love him. I've got a few of his boards. So oh, nice. uh, yeah, I love the row boards. He did these foam core boards too. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I I used to love his boards. Still yeah, do. He's got some amazing technology in those decks. I mean, there's like four or five different materials in that deck. Yeah. Like vertically laminated maple, carbon, a stringer of fiberglass to hold together the 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 maple 
with the sheet of UHMW, which is like a plastic. It, it, and it rebounds really well. He's, he's definitely like a material scientist when it comes to like building a deck based on construction. It's mm. amazing. And why doesn't he build boards anymore? Just moved on. Uh, yeah, I think he's moved on to different things. He, he you know, he's he's got an old job just like most other people do. He's and I don't actually know what he does. I think he's an engineer of some sort. Mm. But also the, the the facility that he was working at was a friend of his. Um, and they, I think he's straight was getting out of that industry. Right, um, sure. Because he had, um, the, the, the company, the, the shop that he was going through was making most of the ski cores for K2. And so, you know, he had like amazing presses to make these amazing skateboards in. Mm. So he had like a heated press and like, just pressing from multiple directions. And so he had like a really precise um, format to making these things. But um, I don't think he's do- no longer doing that, so it's it's kind of been under the radar for a bit. So when you like do a board, like who tests them? Do you do the testing, like, uh, or do you have like friends or skaters that help you do a new deck? Yeah, so I usually will will if it's a pushing deck, I will absolutely make like two or three of them and give them to the push riders that we have. Okay. Um, there's a guy in locally angel and then another guy from Portland, Colby Cummings. Um, I, I've given them a couple decks to really just try and, you know, give, give me a, a good and honest feedback as to what's, what they like about it, what they don't like about it, what needs to be changed, what's perfect. Um, and I'll also ride there myself. I do a lot of long distance, so I will absolutely push it to the limit hmm. and see what it's like. You know, decks that have cracked but have, you know, had had resin filled in with it just to see what happens if I ride it for 500 miles. The first deck that I took to Ultra Skate, I pushed 125, and then the next six months I rode it for a long time, and there was no issue with the structurability because it was filled with resin just naturally. Um, it was, you know, I, I try and pr- test everything that I make, mm. like everything, like even the the spirit right now that I'm riding. Is a, is a literally a production version of the spirit. I don't have any sort of like fancy carbon version. I used to, but I'm just rocking the wood maple deck right now. Mm. I love it. And are there any boards you're itching to make, or do you think your subsonic lineup is pretty complete? You're pretty happy with it. Mm. Two very very difficult questions. The lineup is already pretty extensive, so it's yeah. kind of hard to just want to add to it. I mean, yeah. I obviously want to add. I mean, I'm a crazy scientist. I want to make all these all these awesome boards. At the same time, I got to keep it reasonable because I can't make 20 boards, 20 different boards. That's just asking too much. Like for mm-hmm. us, as far as our purposes go, it's too much to handle. It would be better if we only had like five, because it would be very simple. Like you, this board's for this purpose, this board's for this purpose. It's just easy and simple. But at the same time, riders want something specific. They want a shorter version of the Century. So we made the, the, the 40 is the normal Century. We made the Century 36 as a smaller, more compact version. Yeah. And I actually prefer that now. That's that's my main board that I commute with. Yeah, that's very 36. popular, that, that type of board. I've noticed that. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it's very well set up. That's something I've put... I'll took, I've, put a lot of time into making sure that the decks as, as the completes are listed on the website. It's not just like, you know, Randall trucks front and back. It's actually like the width of the trucks matters. The, the, even the type of trucks matter. 
Hmm. So with like the Century, both of them actually, both the Centuries, they have a Bennett vector in the front and a Randall 150 or 125, 35 degree plate in the back. So it's like you got a really turny truck in the front and a really stable back, uh, truck in the back, which really does work for the pump. Like these boards have a wedge and de-wedge system, so that way it pumps well. Right. Like yeah. it's a good down and out aspect because the front turns more in the back. Yeah. But it's also a really good pumping setup. Yeah, yeah. Like that's yeah, actually that's where I see a lot of people have been uh, buying these type of decks for pumping and commuting. Yeah, um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And like you don't have to push as much. Like, I noticed, like, if I'm going to, like, a, a motion just had, I guess it was about a month and a half ago, had this, like, skate session, like, a little party at, their, at the shop, and we went from the shop, skated to the UW campus, did some campus stuff, and then went to some parking garage. But in between, you know, it's all flat stuff. I'm pumping past people that are just kind of, you know, looks like they're tired trying to push, and I'm just, like, you know, effort, effortlessly just rocking my hips back and forward and just maintaining speed. That's in your, like on your Century 36? Correct. Yeah, and how do you set that up? What's your setup? Currently, I have a Bennett Vector in the front, 125. Um, That's the Bennett uh, 5? Yeah. Or the yeah, 4.3, the, the Bennett 5, yeah. Yeah, it's a 5. Can you still then, get those? Yeah. Um, so, I don't remember where we get them. I forget. Oh, okay. But we, yeah. we definitely can still get them. That's why we, we actually were, we used to run Bennett Tracker, but we couldn't get trackers anymore because they stopped making them. Hmm. They haven't made any in a long time, and we're trying. We we know the people to contact, but they're like, "Yeah, we we haven't made any in a while." Oh, is that the? Um, you mean the tracker reverse kingpin truck? No, it's actually this the the traditional. Oh, the RTS RTX. Yeah, they okay. stopped making those, and they I think they moved it to the Dart. Yeah, they had a truck called the Dart, and it was very similar, but they stopped yeah. making the RTS RTX. Yeah. I thought that he was going to start making them again. Maybe I've heard the same thing as you that, or maybe uh, he's yeah, just waiting so for ma- ma- enough demand. Yeah. So, so you've got I, the Bennett I got at the, the Bennett front. In the front. Yeah. And then I got a Randall 125 in the back, um, D wedged to 25, maybe I think it's 20 actually. Okay. Yeah. It makes for a really nice rear end. Like it sticks. And what sort of wheels have you got? Um, right now I'm running uh, Kegels. Okay. I really like Kegels. I like like most of the Otank products. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah, they make it's, a good. I didn't like. I've been, I've been constantly moving around wheels. I mean, I do a lot of downhill, so I've been trying out like the modern downhill wheels. I used to run Kegels for a long time and kind of stepped away from all the other stuff. But I've tried the latest Cannibals. I've tried the Mach ones, the Alphas, uh, Koi's, Koi's. Um, just recently got the Kaguama, the uh, Hoteng Kaguama, oh, yeah. the big 85 mil. Um, that was the, pretty sweet. I do like that one a lot. Could that be replacing your Kegels? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've also run speed vents. That's like why I like the speed vents, because they were huge, 85 mils tall. Yeah. Now I have a Kegel that can do or uh, <laughs> an Hoteng wheel that can do that now. And, and it's actually surprising. I took the Kegel or the oh, – getting names mixed up. I took the Kunguama wheel. Um, I put it on my slalom board for Mary Hill this couple months ago. Yeah. Even though the Kunguama has a rounded lip, yeah. I had no grip issues on Mary. Wow. Like at all. Like 85 mils on Mary, throwing it downhill. Did you have People, the the light blue one or the um the orange? 
I had the orange. Okay. Yeah, I really want to try that light blue one. 77 sounds fun. Yeah, they're just all gone. Yeah. We had stock and it just it disappeared so quick. I literally just, we didn't even save any for us to use. <laughs> yep. yep. I, uh, motion released that they had them. I went the next Tuesday. Like I think they released them on a Saturday. I went on Tuesday the next week, and yeah. they had already been purchased, like all of them. Yeah. There was one set in there which was already going to a guy that had just walked in. It's like, man. Hmm. I sometimes so. wonder about our scene when it was in Australia, when it peaked in about 2011, 2012. But even the early years, was the reason why it got popular was just because of this, like how scarce the product was? I mean, it was mm-hmm. scarce overseas that there was limited oh, production. that's right. I forgot about that. That, Actually, that was one of Rain's marketing strategies because they made very little of them. Yeah. And people were like, man, Rain boards, like, those are sweet. Like, they're, they were exclusive and they were really nice quality. And they still are. Yeah. But now there's just so many of them. That, we used that, to get Rain boxes in. We literally used to get a box of Rain and we would announce it that the box is arriving like Friday afternoon. We had skaters with like clumps of cash in their hands. <laughs> And literally, everyone's just standing around. Someone has a knife, and I'd like open up the box, and people would be grabbing boards, going mine. Just oh it was God. just like a free for all. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, that's a, when that's so delightful. <laughs> when the when the first uh, when the first wolf shark got released, oh yeah, we had a hundred and twenty people sign up to say they wanted to be notified and i think the distributor gave us eight or nine boards <laughs> you know eight or nine into yeah. 120 it just doesn't go you yeah know? Like, and, those are gone. Uh, <laughs> we we had situations of uh we would find an extra board it's like someone would ring up and say oh do you have this board in stock and going, oh yeah we have one on our we-, we we have one here that's like in the shop and they'd say oh it's out of stock on the website can you put it you know on stock on the website and i said no you don't want me to do that because there's probably like three people on that page right now and they'd go no 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 just put it on i said no if you want it buy it right now or else it's not yours and he'd go no just put it on the website and i'll buy it later and then they'd ring back and say oh do you, you didn't put it on the website i said yeah no we put it on and it's no, all <laughs> they go that quickly yeah this is hot product you can't so, just like wait on it and I wonder if that was something that drove the, the market, the scarcity of the product, that it's sort of, um, I don't know. That's something I think about. Yeah. But now it it's... It kept it exclusive, kept it special. Yeah. Now it's like you, it's very rarely you run out of stock of something because, you know, there's just so much production. Everyone mm-hmm. just keeps stepping up production. Maybe this is the natural like uh evolution that we see that now production is there's too much production so it's winding back and will soon be scarce yeah well that's kind of a thing like also something we haven't touched on is like these products like especially manufacturing decks um it's it's not that much of a consumable item these things last a long time oh yeah yeah so it's it's like there if there's so much oversaturation with the market and just people making a bunch of decks, and mm. then all of a sudden, you know, there's too many decks. Mm. Like, like it's 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 only a matter of time 
until like we can actually have a revival of like um, well, maybe it gets, new decks. I, I talked to Mitch Thompson about this when I was in Bathurst, and it goes back to maybe a little bit of what you're saying of introducing people into the scene where if you have a board and a setup, maybe it's time to donate it to someone to get them into the scene, like he says. That is brilliant. That's, that is absolutely brilliant. You get more people in and it's because uh, I, I look at, well, the, that slalom skater I was talking to and I was saying, well, yeah, I should go through what's in my storage. I probably have like four or five slalom setups and pieces that I should set up and, you know, um, sort of, I suppose, salt the scene a little bit. You know, they used to yep. salt a mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you, if you think about it, like if, if you just like make a deck, like you have parts laying around that you can pull together and then, you know, you create like this kind of deck then you let somebody borrow it or even have it, um, you know, you could absolutely fuel someone's next passion. Mm. And when you look back on that a couple of years from now, what like that was the cost of a deck that you had laying around. Like, mm. It's really worth it in the end mm. to, to do that. I think that's a really good idea. And I'm probably going to do that. Mm. I have plenty of boards around here. <laughs> like <laughs> Things that like I've ridden and I no longer ride. Like I have lots of prototypes, lots of things just floating around. Yeah. Like I don't think I'm going to make a couple of them and just kind of like try and pick the right person to, to, to carry it on. Like, hey, if I give you this, will you make sure and write it? Like, will you actually give it a shot? Mm. You know? I think that's a good idea. So we've been talking a while. We should sort of uh, warp, sort of uh, wrap it up soon. So, what's the future of Subsonic? Do you think? What's I mean? What's your direction? What do you think? I mean, are you guys like how long can you hang on if the you know the market's still slow? You know, it's it's a matter of finding the the newest thing to get into. Um, right now, I think we're we're branching off into some interesting directions, um, as far as new new boards, not necessarily new boards, but a new way to get around. I don't really want to release too much information, but um, ah. you know, it's, it's it so is a matter of time. There, there is a there's still something you're developing for the lineup. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> I, I can't stop thinking. Great, so I'm wrapping up the podcast, and you drop that. <laughs> <laughs> there's always new ideas. It's never dull. So that's you develop new boards. Um, the, I mean, there is a a whole marketing, like the new marketing in social media and so forth, which is sort of, I suppose, a new take on sponsored riders. I mean, you guys, mm-hmm. is that something that you need to do, or is there yeah, just limits to how much, like you know, the the limited resources you have that you can do? There's de- there's definitely something like we have to make sure and and focus our energy on the right directions. You know, energy, money, effort, time. We got to make sure and focus them in the right areas, and that's something that we're all trying to figure out at this moment. Um, so it's it's very important that our next step is is the right one, and you know maybe we can do it two or three steps at once. You know, go in two different directions, three different directions. Um, but it's it's very important that if if we want to all survive this this low that we're all in. That we that we really work together as like a market, as an industry, mm. and try and bring us out of this. You know, it's not just like I'm not speaking as Subsonic in this case. I'm speaking as like from the industry. Like we 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 need to desperately find a new way for us to all succeed. 
or else we're just going to keep watching companies dropping off the map, and it's it's not fun. I don't mm. I don't enjoy that. So, Do you think mergers? That's something that hmm. is going to help the that's industry. Something, yeah, it could be. Yeah, it very well could be. You know, having new new um, new eyes, new new direction in the company can absolutely keep a you know pull it off the ground. Because mm. I mean, say I'm just off the top of my head, but if Longboard Larry's not making boards, I mean, would you know, like you picking up a brand like that and doing longboard Larry boards, would that help you? Or do you think that's your just it? That's just like taking on spreading yourself too thin and taking on too much. I personally think it's spreading yourself too thin because yeah. there's already an oversaturation in decks. I yeah. think it needs to start from more of a community aspect. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I think you're right. Well, I mean, it's interesting time times ahead. That's for sure. Um, I think, I think we're heading on the right track. I think people are recognizing that, you know, we need to do something to build, you know, our local communities back up. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of people, especially local and here in the area, that are really trying their best to do that. And I, I am internally grateful for them. Like, I'm, I'm very proud of what of what Nate Brax is doing, um, what Dino the the, the guy that puts on all the Mary Hill Rats events, like really trying to bring keep that community aspect here, because that's that's really I think a part of it is like that needs to needs to come from the community. This 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 outreach really does need to start local, mm. and it's not like all company to change their aspect, but it's it's like change what you can in your area, and hopefully in a matter I'm I'm gonna say a couple of years like this is a this is a big wave that we're on. You know, there's been a decline since 2014, 2015, um, and it's been pretty steady now, um, of of just like of of lack of involvement with with like, with uh, more more members coming in. So I think it is pretty important that that we that we all kind of focus on this on the small community aspect. Mm. I suppose. Uh, I mean, you know. Buy boards, people. If you want to, yes. uh, if you're in the market for a new board or a new type of board, Subsonic. Get uh, get them on the line. Get a customized board. What's the What's the best thing for someone to do if they're looking for a board? For, like, have a look online, then send you an email. Yeah, absolutely. Send me an email, uh, info at subsonicskateboards.com. We can get the conversation started. And if you're like still unclear about what deck is right for you. Um, there's absolutely a conversation that can be had to, to figure out what works. And we do have a, a large FAQ page that helps with that. Mm. You know, maybe if you want a custom deck, something that's a little bit more high performance, um, there's there's definitely a good resource there. I've spent a lot of hours putting that together. Yeah. You know, all of us here at Subsonic have really put in a lot of hours trying to pull that together. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good... Uh, there's some some good information there's some awesome information there how long does a custom deck take like if i sorry it takes about two to three weeks two to three weeks yep from start to finish are people impatient skaters like when they decide on something they want something now or do you think that's a little bit of that there's been a bit of that but honestly like when it comes to like a custom deck people kind of understand like you're building this thing from scratch Especially because I'll try and send pictures along the way. Like, oh, hey, really? I just stained your deck, and this is what it looks like. Like, <laughs> you, they so gave cool. me a base to go off of. Like, one of the one of the more fun ones that I did was 
somebody sent me like a link. It was like, this is kind of what the idea that I wanted to go off of. The link was a picture to, it was called a fire lily. It was like a, a red and yellow flower. And so they wanted to kind of get that red, yellow, fiery aspect into it. And so I just took some of my creative talent and put it into a stain and sent them the picture. And they were just floored as to like the, the, the ability to get that image into the deck. Wow. It's not an actual image. It's just the, the yeah, inspiration the colors. from it. Yeah. So I, absolutely. like the, that's And people are willing to wait for that. Absolutely. No mm. problem. Okay, well, thanks for being on the podcast. It's been... Um... Thank you so much for having me on the podcast as well. I can really enjoy the conversation. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as well. I hope um, everyone else... I hope it starts a conversation out there in the community and I hope um gives people some ideas of uh, what we need to do. Yeah, I really hope so because it's, it, it's got to start local. So it's, it's very important that this conversation gets started. I've been having yeah. it with a, quite a few people already just trying to you know, branch out and get people's ideas. Um, mm. So it's, it's absolutely, I think the conversation's already happening. Mm. We'll have to look at getting some, some subsonic decks in the hop shop. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. If uh, any Aussies out there want a customized board, maybe they can add it into the order. Absolutely. Possible. No, no problem. That's the end of the episode. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate your support. Like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. Feedback. I love feedback. Whether it be good, bad, suggestions, people I should interview, maybe you want to be interviewed. Send me a DM. Facebook is probably the best place to catch me. And I'll see you on the next episode. We have Evren in the next episode, talking downhill. And I have a few more in the works. I have taken a small break this week out of respect for the tragic death of Pastrana in Brazil. But there are more episodes coming. And I appreciate your support. See you on the next one. Hop out.